right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. All right, guys, welcome back to the Team Never Quit podcast. This is our first ever episode in the brand new Team Never Quit podcast studio. Hope you guys like it. Make sure, if you're not already, subscribe to the show on YouTube, youtube.com. Team Never Quit, search us. You'll find all of our videos we're putting out every single week. We drop episodes every Wednesday. And like we do every week, let's drop a Patreon question of the day, which comes from Glenn. Given the chance, would you guys go to Mars or back in time to meet a hero? And why? Oh, back in time to meet a hero. <laughs> Who the hell wants to go to Mars? I don't think there's anything on Mars. There's nothing on Mars. You might be the first one to discover something there. You didn't say that. I mean, hey, you got to go to Mars for go. something. You got to <laughs> gotta go for something. Yeah. Who'd you meet? Who's Abraham your... Lincoln. Abe Lincoln. Joey, what about you, man? Listen, guys, if I'm going back in time to meet a hero, it's either going to be Elvis or Teddy Roosevelt, because those are the two dudes that just seem to have the most fun in their life. Those are pretty solid. Those, those are pretty Man, solid. I've kind of been on an Elvis kick lately. I was going to say Jesus and then Elvis. So, right? All, right, all right, so that's the second time you brought Jesus up in a conversation like this. You can't go to Jesus. You can't do you got, that. You got a time for a new... Are you supposed to say that? No, no, you can't. <laughs> I thought he, you were supposed to he say did that. that. He did that on one of our other guests. Something, something similar to this. He's like, oh, Jesus. And I was like, you can't say that. It's like the Sunday school answer. Teddy Roosevelt. Man, that'd be a hard... I mean, that you'd have to be young to hang out with that guy. He's rough. I mean, he rode a, he rode a moose across the lake, they say. I th- I've seen a picture. I don't know if it's real or not. But if that's true, what, what else can he do? He had a badger in the White House. like, And he created all the parks. Like, the dude was awesome. He's got a medal, he got a medal of honor for the... Um, one of our grandfathers is a rough rider. Did you oh, know wow. Roosevelt had a? Did yeah. you know he had a Medal of Honor? No, I didn't know that. It is, it's it in is the White Teddy. House. It, yeah, in the Roosevelt room, Teddy Roosevelt got it for the Spanish American War. I'm almost. Yeah, well, there's a picture we we have of our grandfather. That's right. How about how about being so cool? Most people don't even know you got a Medal of Honor, and they still think you're cool. Yeah, how legit is that? Is that right? Is yep. that right? Medal of Honor. Yeah, yeah. It's like that thing somewhere. First president ever to receive the Medal of Honor. Oh. While he was a president? Wow. It happened in 2001, actually. You can't so. fight in a war if you're the president. Damn sure can. You're the commander-in-chief. You do That'd be want. best. I guess back then, you do We had Hannity that wanted to do it. I guess back then, yeah. Like, if one of us got out there with commander-in-chief, we sent the boys out. You can bet we'd be out there with them. <laughs> All right, guys. We've got a great guest in store for you guys today. Johnny Joey Jones, retired United States Marine and Fox News contributor. He's endured two combat deployments, Iraq, Afghanistan, and eight years of active service in the Marine Corps. Staff Sergeant Jones suffered a life-changing injury while deployed in Afghanistan as an explosive ordnance disposable technician. Joey, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me on, guys. This I'm going to say... Fun. I wish I were there with you. That I, studio look, Dude, awesome. you're totally missing out, man. We, hey, when we said we built this thing for you, man, you're the first one first in here. First guest. <laughs> and you, I don't even we'll know. Have to hang, we'll have to put something in here. Send us one of your legs. I'm <laughs> send us, we'll hang oh, it right here. That's a great idea. 
Send us I mean? a broken leg. <laughs> we'll make it into It'd a lampstand or something. Send you more of the legs than one of the guns. Yeah, so I'm I'm glad put it you right. Asked for a leg, okay, so I want the yeah the over and under, but you send me a broken leg. I'm gonna put it right here and this be it'll be my yeah. What the ones you bust? Send it over to us. Cup holder. Yeah. Cup holder. Great. Life changing. It'll be like the gavel when it's your turn to the the conch. You gotta you gotta pass the leg. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Joey's his not life life altering his life. Enhancing wounds, man. The guy definitely does. I mean, if you if he's sitting at a table or if you didn't know, if he has his jeans on, short him walking with a funny swagger, you wouldn't know he has any injuries. That's how optimistic he is in life. Thanks for coming on the show, big man. Great to see you. That's fun. You're man. such a you're one of like the best looking Marines I've ever seen. I don't mean that in a gay way because I'm a Navy guy, but <laughs> the hair you got you got this total package, man. I don't know how you still have, find the. Uh, the energy to work. I, I struggle. I, I struggle okay, man, to get you up. You work out work. harder now than you did before. Yeah, you do. I mean, you. It's kind of a thing, right? Kind of not really. You know, in the Marine Corps, there's a lot more cardio and just like dumb stuff, like the CrossFit stuff that you have to do. Now I can just focus on having big chest, big biceps, staying strong upper body, and just yeah, kind of. I mean, it's almost to do like more even kill than anything. So you can literally get away with the Superman physique because back in the day, you make fun of us because we had the skinny legs. You know what I mean? I'm built more like a shark, right? But y'all is like if titanium gonna... <laughs> terminators, right? And then, man, once you get married and have kids, you go to the dad bod. That was the best thing. So you don't yeah. have to do abs, right? You just have to do chest, shoulders, and make sure the bicep and forearms hang out, right? You know, buddy, we should create our own workout called the, the dad bod equivalent, right? And we, this is what you do to get your, <laughs> and it, make our own standard. But you can't be a part of you can't be a part of it because you look like a bodybuilder. <laughs> no, 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 no. As long as your chest sticks out further than your belly, whether you're a boy or a girl, it works out. That's what my buddy Justin Carl used to say. That's what I'm saying, right? That's some good advice. Yeah. I'm going to start That's I'm it. start lifting heavy on chest again. Traps and lats. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thanks we're, again we're, for coming on yeah, here, man. We've been looking forward looking to Looking forward to doing this. Where are you at? Uh, so where, where are you at right now? Where you got? An undisclosed location, otherwise known as my basement, in the little gun room I put together uh, during the quarantine. So I had a hammer and some time on my hands. And, Are you and serious? Right, man, I was going to ask you if you did that during the quarantine because I was standing in mine, just kind of looking around, <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to have to make some upgrades on this sucker, man. And so I'm going to take some of your ideas. No, it's good. This stuff's awesome. The little, in the cabinets I bought at Home Depot, I built the countertops and uh, put some paint and stain, stuck it to the wall, and then this rack stuff. So it came together real easy. You got all that at Home Depot? What about the racks? <laughs> Did you get the whole no, they don't thing? Sell. <laughs> <laughs> I bought the broom at Home Depot. Home they, sell, Home Depot. Man, they sell everything at Home Depot. Now, leaning, all my guns are leaning in the corner. Sorry about that. <laughs> No, the Racks is a company, I mean, I guess you guys don't care if I say it. It's called Gallo Tech, and uh, they're really cool. They gave me a big discount for being a crippled-up veteran, and they were just cool about it and sent it to me in the mail. I'm going to need you to get man, behind man, me. We're going to have Joe. a number down here, man. <laughs> <laughs> we can turn this whole space into one of them gun rooms, Yeah. Right? All right, big man. Here's where we go. We want, we want um, obviously, you have one an amazing story, and it starts from – where you come from, where you went, where you're going, and where you are now. If you would be so kind as to jump into, just kind of give we give our listeners because everybody looking for inspiration. Everybody's looking to. Even I say this. I like to, I like to like say I like to hook my wagon or, or or grab on a coattails of somebody who's just been through so much but continues to strive as much as you do. You know, I'm a big fan of your hero. I mean, you're one of my heroes. Just just because I'm going to tell a story about you later later on in the episode, it's going to just like amaze people. I promise. But if you if you would indulge, give us um, your your never quit story, or man, just tell us a story. 
Oh, it's an easy day, man. You can't get me to shut up. What are you talking about? But, That's uh, the truth. No, That's you, true. I'm from I'm from North Georgia, man. I grew up in a 1966 single wide. My dad laid brick and block, and, and we didn't have anything, but we were happy, man. We had fun. We went hunting. My uncle raced dirt track. We, we were a big family with two uncles and my grandparents. But as far as money or goals go, that wasn't part of it. You just went to work. I laid brick and block before I learned how to do, you know, geometry. And, uh, and that was just kind of life. And so there weren't any expectations other than maybe my parents would me graduate high school because nobody I was kin to ever had before me. Um, and so that was like the big thing, graduating high school. And then after that, I was like, man, there's other stuff out there to do. I tried college and I was a little bit too kind of, I guess, high strung for that. And the Marine Corps came and knocking just like they do. They come find you, man. You can't run from from the recruiters when uh, you play football and stuff like that. So the Marine Corps became the next opportunity. Uh, I joined the Marine Corps thinking if I could just get through boot camp, that would be cool. And I'm always amazed at guys like you all because, you know, I hear you guys talk and, and I read your story. And I know that you went into the military with these big goals in mind. You had this confidence and this physical ability that even though I played football, I just really – you know, that was never part of my life to think I could be quote unquote the best at something. So for me, joining the Marine Corps was my best chance at that because that that boot camp I figured was the hardest thing I would ever do. And Marine Corps has a very difficult boot camp. And uh the so hardest. that's what I did. It's like, man, if I can get through this boot camp, that'd be awesome. And I did, and I did really well. I ended up someone told me early on you can run your way through the Marine Corps. In other words, you can just physically labor your way through success in the Marine Corps, and you really can. And that was the one thing I had going for me. I probably probably pretty smart guy, but more than anything, I just knew how to pick heavy things up and move them long distances, you know, and to include myself. And um, so after I joined the Marine Corps with zero experience in the military, no one in my family, like if you were in my family and you were, you know, a public servant, you were picking up trash on the side of the road because you got trouble on Friday night. That was it. There were no, <laughs> right. you know. Yeah, we had those down here too. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> and so that was that was like I didn't know what the Marine Corps was. I thought everybody was basically in a line platoon, and some of us were just smart enough to learn other skills. Like that's really what I thought. So they sent me to be a, a radio technician, and like three months into it, I'm like, "There's no way I'm going to do this for however many years they have me signed up for." And so I just started volunteering for stuff. I got to go do some cool things, get out of those little tech shops, and learned about EOD. Three years in the Marine Corps, I volunteered to do that. Uh, Latin moved into it and, uh, you know, got a couple of deployments, a bunch of bombs and, uh, and a couple of legs under my belt. I never heard Great it. Great way of like looking that. at it. First of all, if you're moving bricks and blocks your whole life, man, that is geometry. Don't even sweat. You, you know, you know that. But I never heard it said like that. It kind of kicked something in my head. You're right. So when we're growing up, and at what point in time you're like, uh, do you have a military background in your family? Because with us, most people, you're right. They're like, hey, I, I, they just hear about the Army or the Marine Corps or the Navy, but they don't realize what that means. Like, yeah. we got a line as to what the SEALs were. That's something inside the Navy. You have to join one, but you're going to, the, I was like, yeah, I'm here in the big family, but I belong at that table over there kind of deal. Did you no, just sign up to be a Marine? Because there are multiple different types of Marines. 
<laughs> oh yeah, well, that was it. Like I didn't know. Yeah, yeah most people like, don't, right? That's that's kind of the, that's yeah, what I'm rec- talking about. Recruiter got him. Most people don't know. They're just like, you're going to be a marine. I was like, what the hell's that mean? Well, you'll find out. <laughs> well, you know, the largest influence I had was Full Metal Jacket, and like the biggest, you know, I guess I'd say this badass in that movie was a journalist, right? So like that was Joker. Uh, that was his job, and he ended up going through all kinds of combat and, and the you know the boot camp scenes. Like you don't put two and two together that like. Yeah, it might be cool that you all go to the same boot camp, but you don't go to the same place after that. Well, you know, in, in Full Metal Jacket, he went from boot camp to war. Oh, and yeah. so, like, I just assumed that's what everybody did. That I movie didn't know is so good, these, that boot you know, camp different scene. Different areas. It kept, that's why I didn't join the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, if I would have been smart, hey. I would have seen that movie and said, hey, man, man you come take that was that. so early, man, that that whole thing. And that, a, that, and that, that movie, awesome. for everybody out there hadn't seen that, that, that in my opinion, because my, my, my OCS DI was just the scariest son of a bitch on the planet. Dude, you were already hearing stories about them dudes that and, freaking yeah, hats, man. Boot camp, God, man. They just dang, out of control. And if people don't know this, if you join the Marine Corps and you go through boot camp and then you get out and you go into any other service, you don't have to go through their boot camp. But if you join the Navy and go through boot camp and get out and you want to go into the Marine Corps, you have to go back through Marine Corps boot camp. You guys get to, to clap yeah. out of all that stuff. That's That's what we're talking about. Yeah, the, the chip on the shoulders there, and uh, and and I liked it. There was some pride, and like, like when the Marine Corps recruits you, it's kind of like if Nick Saban were recruiting a quarterback, he doesn't go find you. You come find him and sell yourself to him, you know. And that's kind of like that's how the Marine Corps recruiters acted, especially you know when I joined in two thousand five. Everybody wanted to join and go to war, so you know they had an air about him, and I like that. The one thing I will say though that I think you guys will understand this. You go to the Marine Corps, even if you go infantry, it's like um, you're being babysat and programmed. But for you guys to go from the Navy into the SEALs, it's like all the responsibility is on you to put out. They don't have to ride you because you got to want to be there because if you don't, somebody else will. And um, and like it's that grown-up mentality at that point. And that's what I was looking for after I got in the Marine Corps. And that's why I went EOD because it's like that. It's like, hey, look, man, we only get to take so many of you. So if you don't want to be the guy, get the hell out of here. We'll bring the next one in. And that's what I was looking for. And I, I'm not trying to draw parallels between EOD and the SEALs, but like that was the experience I wanted once I got in the Marine Corps. And, um, and that's why I ended up going to EOD is I wanted kind of that grown-up opportunity. Like, hey, I'm in charge of if I get my stuff done, if I learn what I need to learn. And if I can keep up with the other guys, and uh, and I like that a lot. Oh well, there are, there's it is parallel. Imagine one family, different brothers, and I mean we we learn how to build the bombs. You learn how to blow them up and build them. I mean every time we would be out, the funniest thing is when you somebody would look down like, man, what is that? Is that a, is that a bomb? I'm like no, it's just a bunch of wires, man. Whatever, EOD. And I remember Ramadi this first time. Our guy was up there cutting some wires. He says he looks back and all he saw were green little eyes. And we must have been 50 <laughs> yards back, bro. I mean, just, is it is it eyes all clear? You know that kind of thing, man. So, I, I, just yeah. So everyone out there knows we don't. I never went anywhere without an EOD guy was standing right next. He was either up on point or yeah. right next to me. And I, that's made me, that put me in my comfort zone. It gave me a little warm and fuzzy. That I had, the, I mean, yeah, exactly what Marcus said, dude. If they, if the dog sits or the EOD guy says, halt the fucking patrol, I mean, we go. Yeah. That, <laughs> seriously. So you guys get done doing what you're doing. I mean, I you got to think in our world, y'all are unique. Right? I mean, well, when y'all get assigned yeah. to us, so you're either with a one or three, and everybody's like, man, what's he doing, man? Is he all right? <laughs> what did he do? <laughs> I mean, you take care of better than the, the medic. Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. You, man, I didn't mean like, to interrupt y'all, but that's a big so misconception cool, in our world that 
I mean, the distension in the re- that's us doing that to each other. For everyone yeah. else, they need to know that that doesn't exist. Like when we throw the uniforms on, man, it's it's. Yeah, because for us, you can like kind of be good at diving. I mean, obviously you're gonna be better than everybody else, but you can kind of be good, or you can kind of be a good shot. Meod boys and you and got girls, to, yeah, you, you're you, good. You know you, the guys you better be who, good. yeah, you know the guys who were kind of good, or you know, they're they're just not there anymore. <laughs> yeah, the, the simple truth, our, our like saying, they took it away from us, but you're not going to take it away from us. Is initial success or total failure? Like, but you got to have that mentality. Like, I'm living proof. There's some gray area, you know. Like, <laughs> but but the idea is like either you get it right or people die, and uh, and that's a, that's a good way to train. That's a good mentality. Um, I loved it, man. I didn't get to work with you guys. I worked with Marsock and I got to support ODA. And what was fun for me is, you know, no pride whatsoever. You guys go use your guns and kick the doors down and create a shit storm and just let me know when you need me. You know, and that was kind of like what it was. I'd be in the, the back of the patrol and, uh, you know, they're going in to roll somebody up or to go in and take a cash, which usually meant to blow up some building and, and all this fun stuff. And, as long as I could, you know, handle my weapon, I was along for the ride. That's what I loved about it. Like, I didn't get, you know, we did some jumping, uh, didn't didn't get wings, but we did some jumping out at that place called, uh, it's like south of San Diego. I can't remember now. Oh, Otay. And, uh, Otay. San Diego Skydive or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Otay, Otay Ranch. Yeah, yeah, we've been there. And, uh, you know, I just got to do some cool stuff. Most of it was like by the seat of my pants because that team needed an EOD guy. And it's like, well, I'm an EOD guy. Let's go do it. Um, but now the reverence is there. And the coolest thing in the world is, you know, the American people, civilians might not know much about EOD other than this ridiculous movie. But when you guys throw the pat to the back and say, you know, like you're you're impressed by us, that that means everything. I thought the, I thought, I thought her I, well, was I, I thought amazing. I thought won an Academy Award. It did. <laughs> Nobody ever likes yeah. the movie that's made about him. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like Pontius talks smack about Top Gun. I was like, I love that movie. I love Top Gun. Yeah. I thought it was I awesome. can't wait till you guys don't wear cowboy hats and polos underneath your. Uh... I know, right? Every all you all wear Ray Bans. <laughs> I mean, that's a thing. I thought. <laughs> all right, so you were in three years. Did a lad over to EOD. Lead, uh, give us kind of a a, a lead in. Who to... chirped you into EOD? Did you see a poster? Or just or like, man, that's cool. You know what? The coolest thing for me was in two thousand. I joined in two thousand five. In two thousand seven, I went to Iraq as mounted security, just to provide security for. It was supposed to be convoys. And we got pulled over to do mounted security for EOD. So we were the, you know, the quick response security for EOD. And actually, LAT moved into EOD my second month in Iraq. So I did eight and a half months in Iraq on the job training for EOD. So by the time we got to EOD school, as you'd say, I knew enough to be dangerous. But I really had an EOD deployment under my belt. And uh, so I knew half the instructors that were there. I knew them, the Marines. And so EOD school was a really cool experience for me because I already had some I wouldn't say seniority, but recognition within that very small. Oh, so community. you just had to go in there and get your nuts kicked in. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Just, that's and, just the uh, right of passage, then, right? <laughs> you already well, got the, the crawls, was, man. You just had to go through it, right? Well, the problem was that a microscope on me then because, you know, I mean, you know how it is. You call it a pissing contest. It's like, oh, this dude, you know, so and so say, keep your eye on this guy because he thinks he's hot shit because he's done this before, kind of thing. And then you know, he takes a month or two to get that out. And then, just win them over with charm and, and have a good time. So, yeah, these schools awesome. It really, really said, was. It, Marine Corps, win them like with charm. You learn how to learn. You don't learn how to do it. That's a good way of putting it. And, uh, you know, so then I leave there. I go to um, Camp Pendleton. First, I go to Marsoc. They come and recruit three of us to Marsoc. It's kind of a crazy story. Uh, I got a last name, Sprotsoff, Day, and myself. 
Sprouts off and they have been Marine recon. So they had, you know, jump school, dive school, a bunch of other things under the belt. I could run with as much weight as far as you wanted me to. I can't swim my way out of a mud puddle. I never could. So they would both take me to the pool every day and try to help me figure it out. The three of us got recruited into MARSOC, and I spent two weeks proving that I was never going to learn how to swim, and they sent me back to ground support. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's like, and so when I left UD school, I never went to MARSOC. I went to ground support. And that, that actually ended up being awesome because I got to deploy right away, and it took them another year to deploy because they had to go do all the training. And, um, and so the, the bad part of that story is they both got killed that first year. And that's just how intense ah, of, a, of a mission that was. So, um, you know, tremendous amount of respect for those guys, especially the EOD guys that go over there. And uh, so I went to first EOD company, a storied EOD company. They were one of the first in the Marine Corps, one of the first in the military. Uh, we were a platoon when I got there. That's how small and, and just like unique the, the community is. And um, this autonomous platoon within the Marine Corps that – belongs to the support side and deploys with the infantry side and like it's just such a cool unique atmosphere we were in a condemned building we had guys forward deployed if a guy got hit or killed the commander would walk out plug in the beer lamp would stop work go play volleyball and drink beer because you got to like keep that balance otherwise it's in the back of your head you know hey so-and-so got killed and i may be next and uh we trained for about eight months. Uh, didn't know when we were going to deploy. Had to be done training by January. We were going to deploy anywhere between there and May. Ended up going in March. Uh, got there, and it was just, I mean, it was game on. It was crazy. I mean, it was a tremendous amount of work. And um, and so we were all over the Helmand River Valley from Sangin to Nauzad to Marja, all the way down through uh, some other places that aren't as famous. I ended up getting hurt in Safar Bazaar. Um, six months into the deployment towards the latter half, I got hurt the first week of August. We were coming home in October. Uh, and there's a point, and you guys know this in every deployment, there's a, there's like a, a turning point. that's like up until that point, it was like, man, let me get all the fun I can have. And then there's a point you hit where it's like, there's a front end cool back. Yeah, yeah. Never leave this. Tent again. <laughs> book you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, bro. It's on the bookends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The bookends. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So it was like two weeks after that point. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, always, and, uh, is. So, always, you know, but that's part of it, man. So give a, give our listeners a little kind of an overview, if you don't mind on, what the experience yeah. was like. There was this little town called Safar Bazaar. It was out in the desert away from the river. And if that part of Afghanistan, you got to be like within a half a mile of a river or you're just in the desert. And they grow poppy. So everybody pretty much lives next to the river to grow opium. And there was this little town out in the desert. And we as Americans or ISAF had left it alone. And it became this trading post, mainly for IED components. And so we had intelligence on it. We had watched it. We had tried to go in and do something there early on in my deployment. It didn't work. So we stood up this big effort and we went down and basically took the town. It took us five days to take the town. As an EOD guy, I spent most of that time in my truck. I worked maybe 10 IEDs in those five days. Um, and they were hooking and jabbing and, and, you know, small arms fire, a couple of couple IED hits. And then once we got into the town, it was gangbusters. Um, I worked 38 IEDs and uh, in three and a half of those five days and probably a dozen that last day. 
got woken up the next morning and we had taken the northeast corner of the town and we were starting to push out city block by city block first the roads and then the buildings to clear the town and we'd already found this giant storage facility that had just thousands of ied components in it that's what we were there to do to begin with and what happened is we had to let them know we were coming so the civilians would leave that's just kind of what we do and so what they do they they took all their ieds and they put them in the ground they made a minefield out of it and that's why the the numbers were so high um and so you know with numbers like that you're going to run out of luck it's just going to happen it's part of it and so we took 200 Marines, six EOD techs, three two-man teams. My team got the short straw. We did the main effort and uh, got up the morning of the sixth day. We were prosecuting is what we call it, uh, a, a road, and we had pulled a bunch of IEDs out of it and deemed it clear. And uh, my teammate actually had moved a piece of ordinance called found ordinance where we shoot something that doesn't blow up. The enemy takes it and harvests it. So he had picked it up and moved it. And I remember from school, hey, that's not something you move because you basically could start a timer on it. And it might blow up. So I went over and kind of leaned over a wall to look at it and see if it were truly armed or if it had been spent. And uh, and honestly, I don't know what happened after that, because when I leaned back, I stepped on an ID. It was there and uh, threw me through the air. Really amazing experience. You know, I'd watched IDs blow up. Uh, probably a half dozen times total with trucks for people. And, um, but when it was underneath me, like one, there's no noise and two, like everything just turns into a giant cloud. And so it's a real surreal experience. It doesn't knock you out unless you get hit in the head. A lot of people think you black out. I never blacked out. I landed on my back. And uh, if you've ever seen, Oh brother, Wart now, like I remember kind of having that, damn, I'm in a tight spot moment. Like <laughs> yeah. there's not much I can do right now. My left arm was twisted behind my back. So I grabbed my right arm and we put our tourniquets on our shoulders and our hips because yeah. if you put them any further out, they're probably going to get blown off with whatever you need the tourniquet for. Uh, so I reached up with my right arm to grab the tourniquet up here and my arm was filleted open and the bones were broken. So when I reached up, my hand stayed in my lap. And I remember looking at it thinking, God dang it, man. It didn't hurt, it didn't hurt until you looked at it though, right? No, it, it didn't hurt for like, what felt like an hour so probably 30 seconds like there was a i did a lot of thinking before it started hurting and yeah, uh because you're trying to think about which like, part oh, you want to what hurts what, what, yeah <laughs> which one hurts the worst happen. that's then i'll start <laughs> feeling the hurt you know you know like there's a couple things like my legs are gone and, so they were completely uh, now, gone yeah from the knee down i mean i could, they were you know just like I think what I saw was what was left in my pants, charred, and, and like I was bleeding out. And I knew I was bleeding out. And the whole thing was like, I got stopped the bleeding. You know, you want to live. Right. And uh, and so right in front of me, like 30 yards, was this guy that had been standing beside me, kind of on the other side. And he was a re engineer, Daniel Greer. And he looked untouched and he's looking back at me. And I just thought, man, you know, he's knocked out. Thank God he's okay. And, uh, and so I reached up and grabbed that tourniquet. It didn't go. And then I started going through, well, bleeding out of three limbs. I was hard to breathe. I didn't know it, but I had a punctured lung. I was losing my ability to breathe. And I was like, man, it's probably it. And so when guys started coming to us, I just started letting them know, hey, come from this side, not that side, because I didn't want somebody else to get blown up and just be this chain reaction. If you find one ID, you assume there's another. Right. And so I was just trying to talk them into where I was. When they finally got to me, they started working on me right away. And I just said, 
hey, man, say the Lord's Prayer with me, which was hilarious because I learned in that moment. Nobody knows. I it. probably <laughs> didn't know the Lord's Prayer. So it was like, our Father who art in heaven. That's why you have somebody else saying it with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, fill in these <laughs> gaps, will you? <laughs> we made our way through it. And uh, and what happened, well, I didn't know this till later. And uh, we have a cool thing over on at my work, a cool little special we did. But uh, my eyes swelled shut. And I just kept saying, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I screwed up. And uh, and so the battalion commander actually came over and, like, helped take care of me and, and put me on the bird. Well, the guy that got hit in front of me, Daniel Greer, he, he ended up getting killed. A piece of the wall, I was leaned over, hit him in the head, and just the perfect spot, traumatic brain injury, took him. And so, uh, you know, that's the irony of war, though, right? Like, yeah. I stepped on the bomb. I'm responsible for it. He's just a bystander that... Yeah. You know, I lose my legs and he loses his life. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's war. That's the way that stuff happens, man. It is. And that's hard for people to understand, but that is absolutely the truth. That is war. Did you, did your eyes, you, you, did you, uh, did you burn, did your eyes get burned? At no, all? I, I had on all the PPE. I had some Oakley's on, the, or the SF-86 or whatever they're called, you know. Like, classes had the, and as an EOD guy, there's certain parts of gear you're pretty stiffer about, like, I always had a cross protector and I always had glasses. I might not have, you know, plates in my flight jacket because I'm lazy and it's too much weight with C4 on my back, but I always had glasses and a, and a groin protector. Uh, you know, you, those are lessons you see guys learn sure, once. Absolutely. And you're like, okay. I, yep. Seen it firsthand too. Yeah. How long was it when you got hit to the time they got you back? Transpo. It took four days. I lost so much blood and with a punctured lung. They could only get could me fly. from Southern Helmand to, um, I think it was Leatherneck first or Bodrum. Yeah. I can't remember. And I was there for like 12 hours. And then I think it was at Leatherneck for like 12 hours and then Bodrum for 12 hours. So it took about a day to get me. I was in Afghanistan and then I got to Germany. So I got hit on the 6th and they brought me back conscious on the 8th in Germany. And when they knew I was going to live up until that point, they didn't know. And so that I guess they're like, you know, there's no reason to wake this dude up. Just tell him he's going to die. And, uh, and so they woke me up on the eighth. That was when my family knew they didn't have to come to Germany. I was going to come to DC. And then I didn't get to DC until the 10th because they had to do the blood transfusion. And, and I just basically bled out. And uh, so they just had to make sure I was going to take or whatever. Uh, and then I got to DC at Walter Reed on the 10th. So four days. So what was what outcome? What, what was the total extent of, of your injuries from that? And day? what was it? Did y'all ref- did y'all do any PD or uh, battle damn BDA? Like what got you? What's it? What bit you? Oh yeah, yeah. Post blast analysis. One of the other texts that was there is kind of our guru on uh, post blast analysis. Sorry, I'm falling off my chair here. Um, so I actually lucked out and got a really good post blast. So basically, it was just a pressure plate ID, and they had put the metallic components, which was basically the battery pack up under that wall and tucked everything in so close to that wall that when we were sleep, sweeping with metal detectors, we couldn't find it, which is why we never stepped on it. So the fact that I got so close to that wall to look behind it at this piece of ordinance that my partner had put there is the only reason anyone ever stepped on it. When that's just kind of how things happen. But it was just a pressure plate IED. Um, back then, they were using these plastic jugs. So it wasn't really a frag hazard. It was a blast hazard, which is part of the irony of the blast took my legs, but a frag from that wall actually is what took Daniel's life. Um, and so those types of IEDs are the, the best ones to survive because they don't put frag in them. So your metal detector doesn't find them. So if you're just past the blast radius, you're going to make it. 
and the blast doesn't go as far as the frag does. Uh, so just one of those things where, you know, it just happens. I guess that wall actually put a little buffer in and it didn't vaporize you. Yeah. The wall helped save my life. Yeah, it took the front of right? Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah, so it's like, it's crazy how it worked, yeah. Because there's so many components to that blast. The, the brassants, what most people don't even know about. That first round that comes <laughs> yeah. through there, they don't, you know, the when, yeah. the, when your cheeks yeah. start wheeling and all that, then that's that other stuff comes with it. So that that happened to us out, yeah, in the P sector in Ramadi. Well, that's like if you're going to get hit, you'd rather get hit with C4 or TNT. Well, it depends on how close you are. If you're a few feet away, you'd rather it be C4. If you're a little bit closer, you want it to be TNT because TNT won't cut you open. It's going to pick you up and throw you. C4 may not move you two feet, but it's going to cut right through you. And so the brisance is what you're talking about. Like the properties of the explosives is what creates different effects. So if I want to cut into a wall or a piece of steel, I'm going to shape C4 up on it. If I want to move that wall out of my way, I'm going to put TNT under it. And so, you know, depending on what the homemade explosive is and then how it's buried in the ground and what's around it, you're going to get those different effects. So the, the main charge that hit me worked more like tnt it picked that wall up and threw it it picked me up and threw it it cut my legs off that's just raw blast that's not the cutting power of the explosive and uh and had it been more i guess i, I call it high powered and high octane had it been more cutting effects like c4 um you know it might not have moved me but it might have went up through me more right so Hell, what, i could have torn that wall up even more and made that yeah what was the uh what was everything, whatever, what, what all happened to you once they got yeah. figured out? It took both my legs above the knee. Unfortunately, it, it was on the right side of my body. And so it cut my leg on the right. It took all the muscle all the way up to like high hip. And, uh, and they actually had some stuff there. And a lot of guys say, I was the first one they tried this on. They told me that who knows, but they had this like, uh, synthetic subdermal stuff they use for skin graft. I've got a huge patch of skin graft on my right leg. Like I, it's huge. It's pretty much the entire right side of my right leg. But what that did was allow them to save length and length is what matters when it comes to walking in prosthetics. So it, it tore my right leg up the worst, my right arm, I don't know if you can see, but it, it blew the inside of my right arm all the way up to my elbow. My right hand's been put together. I got a cadaver bone in my, in my right arm. I lost my trigger finger, which, sucked uh and um both my wrists were blown open so i have fused wrists on both sides but thankfully internally not a lot i had a punctured lung and that was about it i'm learning now that um it tore my shoulders up pretty bad but i think just in recovery there's so much else we were working on that we really didn't put any attention to them so uh joints and arms <laughs> shoulders legs. look pretty good right now i mean i, I don't think you have any problems with yeah <laughs> Uh, you got it. Yeah, it's a whole shirt. ceremony of cocktail of like you know. How Advil long was that? And- <laughs> How long? I mean, I know you're still recovering. It's an all. I mean, that, that's why we're we're bagging on you about your how fit you are because it's a, it's an everyday thing. I know you got to stay with it because the minute we stop doing all that is when we really fall apart. Like fall everything apart. they put. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're working to keep it together is what we're doing. You guys know that. Um, you know the recovery. There's kind of two parts to the recovery. There's recovery and rehabilitation recovery is they're doing surgery on you they're reattaching muscles and your body's healing itself. correct they didn't stick a that, leg on you they're not trying to put you up and move you you're just your body's no. healing that's right recover yeah and i did surgery on pretty much everything that was injured monday wednesday friday every week for six weeks and that was recovery then it took so that was august september it took till mid-october to be healed 
And starting mid-October, they moved me from what used to be just Naval Bethesda over to Army Walter Reed, and, and I started doing my rehab. I started walking in February 2011. So I was injured August 2010. I started walking in February 2011, and I went back to school and back to work in June 2011. So it took 10 months to go from getting blown up to independence. Not even a year. No, I, I was not going to stay in that hospital, man. <laughs> that was not going to happen. I, would, oh, I was going to say, how much of that was a mental game on your part? Because A lot of it. I can't, yeah. I I mean, mean, I can't imagine you know, how, you, how painful that heal, was. I made a deal with my process that if I could walk a lap around the track the day he gave me my legs with nothing more than two canes, I could walk out the door in them. And to give you an idea, the actual process is when they put you up on working knees, you, put, you get in this harness with a track that kind of holds you up and you do that until you can do a walker. And then you do that. So you can do two canes and then one cane and no cane. And I told him if my very first lap I did on my own with just two canes, I could leave with them. And that's, and I did, I did three laps. The first time I put them on with two canes, walked out the door. I wanted to celebrate, went to the cheesecake factory and fell like a damn jelly. <laughs> man. Oh, oh, man. Man. It right. was terrible. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but that was that helped speed it up a couple of months at least it's the attitude we snuck him out of yeah. the hospital dude after he was in a helicopter crash <laughs> and we immediately had to bring him back right but because for anybody who's in the hospital right now because that's the word i mean they're, they're great at patching yeah. you up man but once we stay in there for a while it's kind of like debilitating again your soul starts to die yeah even when you got it's, all your boys yeah. around you because a lot of them rotate it's like they're, they're in and out of there so fast you can't develop that bond yeah. and that's kind of what we need to motivate because you i've never seen you down ever and that's other than falling down right oh, <laughs> I've seen you oh yeah we all fall down no, no, I, I, he, he busts his ass all the time every time bro every time i see he falls down <laughs> i don't mind you busted your ass that that shoot the uh, couple weeks ago we were together I, and i missed it Man, I that's missed why our attitude is so good because we're always having to pick ourselves up right that's how you get strong man um, I mean, busted up Kalichi Rock, skint your arms. Good. It was bad, too, because I watched that episode. I did it's like the, the whole time, I, you could tell him sitting there going, oh, <laughs> you know, like, don't show <laughs> Wait, it. Wait, are you complaining <laughs> about an elbow pain now after everything? That's the worst, right? When you get into this mode and everyone's like, now you're complaining about knee pain? It's like, And then you look over <laughs> and he's like, well, he doesn't even have knees. I'm like, all right, fine. We all can't imagine everything you had to go through. I mean, I'm sure the family support was there. And everything while you were going through this, can you? What was the the, the kick, man? The the one when you're just sitting there and it's like, okay, this is the this sucks. Two part man, so you know, a lot, I don't share a lot about my personal life because I mean, like now that I'm in the public eye, I just don't need people up in my butt about stuff. But, um, so when I got injured, I just found out before that appointment, I had a three month, five month old son, just you know, being a young Marine, not her fault, not mine, you know, is a very intimate one day relationship. And I found out when he was five months old, I had a kid, he was mine, she happened to be from my hometown, so that helped. Um, and uh 
And so, like, when I deployed, it was like, game, you know, game on. I, I got to be a dad. I got to live through this. Up until that point, I had nothing to lose. Uh, and while I was on deployment, I started communicating with my high school sweetheart again that I had not dated in six years. And so when I got hurt, they were both at the hospital. So it's like I deployed this really good shape, single Marine with no responsibilities. And I came home, a dude, you know, bandaged up on all four limbs with a son and a, and a girlfriend. And so, but the two of them was motivation every single day. It's like, look, man, I got to get out of this hospital bed because I got responsibilities. I'm a, I'm a son and my parents need me. My sister needs me. This new girlfriend that, uh, that I think I'm in love with needs me. This kid deserves a dad. Like, it's not his fault. I went and got blown up. He still needs somebody to throw the ball with, somebody to whip his tail when he's acting stupid and go out and jump out and hunt and fish and do those things. And it's like, I better figure this out. Oh, and by the way, I'm not going to take moms apart for a living anymore. Obviously, I wasn't that good at it. So I better learn and I better go make some money, you know, and like I just never accepted that life's responsibilities were going to be any different for me because I got blown up uh, or because it was a veteran, which, you know, we could get on the soapbox about that and well, the way veterans are now. And it's like, for me, like that was just, I never even, nobody ever posed the question of, Hey, you've got a pension. Are you going to go play video games? You know, like that was never even introduced to me. So that wasn't how I looked at it. And the way I got through it was every time they'd bring my lunch in, you know, cause I was in the hospital bed, I couldn't leave. I'd kick everybody out of the room and how long it took me to eat lunch. I'd cuss and scream and cry and like, just get it all out. And I'd set a 30 minute alarm. Then after a week, I didn't need 30 minutes, just 20 or 15. And then one day they brought the lunch in and we're cutting up and joking and I'm eating my lunch. And I realized like nobody's left. I didn't ask them to, I don't need that anymore. I've accepted my circumstance and I'm going to make something of it. And, um, and so that's kind of how I did it. And, and I know there were days that were probably much worse than others. Thankfully, I just don't remember them, and that's okay, too. Well, that's how you know that you had the good ones, because yeah. you got to measure them off those bad ones. And I mean, a lot of people, that's amazing, because some people be looking at it, they wake up, their legs are gone, they're blown up, punctured lung, look over, they've got a brand new kid, two girls in there, they're pissed off about everything. I mean, that's a dismal place to be. Great opportunity to give up. <laughs> you know, straight up. That's <laughs> but then you, that, if you look at it that way, or you look at it, you know what, this is a great place to be. Now I have, now I, I'm looking at what needs to keep me going as opposed to what's that's keeping right, me down. Right. And, and that's just yeah, brilliant. Yeah. I had a bad day at the office. Now that's what I got to look forward to. I got a, I got a, I got a baby boy. I got a beautiful girlfriend. Yeah. Let's jam. Let me get up out of this bed and go. Yeah. But you took it. To, you, I mean, I, I get, I get, I get credit, Joey, man. You took it from, Knocking on death's door to an amazing life. From, yeah, I mean, exiting when you get out of the military. Seriously. I mean, your passions—they span. I'm not complimenting you anymore, though. Yeah, That's freaking. I think you're worse. <laughs> start, 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 start talking shit about you. Like, Goddamn, you're ugly. Uh, fucking, uh, <laughs> I don't even like your gun room. Nobody shoots those guns. <laughs> They're just I, I mean, dust, bro, right? you have seriously <laughs> to, to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, man, and go back at it. And, and what you're if you add it together, where you came from, I mean, you gave us a little bit backstory on where you came from. I mean, you graduated high school, most people don't do that. You took it to the extreme, in my opinion. I mean, honestly, you set the example of what can be accomplished no matter who or what or where you come from. And what happens to you? You know, you guys understand this. You want me to do something, tell me I can't do it. And I, and I think I learned that from my dad. My dad was 5'8". His brothers and dad were over 6'2". I was 6'1". 
Oh, so and, he was uh, always pissed off was, then, right? <laughs> there you go. Like, and, and he enjoyed a little Budweiser, full strength, he would call it, red label oh, yeah. every evening. And he wasn't a mean guy, but, I mean, listen, tell that man he couldn't do something, and he'd do it to perfection. And uh, I'm much different personality. Like, I'm outgoing, and I like to hear myself talk. I, he did not. But I think he taught me, like, he used to say, anything worth doing is worth doing right, and nothing worthwhile is ever easy. And he'd say that all the time. And if you're breaking block, Mason, you need to believe those two things or you're not going to have a job or you're not going to show up to do it. And uh, and so, like, those things helped a lot. And then from there, you know, you just got to – I mean, everything's a binary choice, right? Like, losing my legs is equally the worst and best thing that ever happened to me. It's really just up to me. And, uh, and I like to be in control. Like, I jumped out of an airplane solo – five times before I jumped out tandem because it scared me to death to have somebody else pulling the shoe. And, uh, and so like, if you can let me, if I can find a way to be in control of my destiny, Hey, it's game on, man, let's go get it done. Now I might not succeed at everything, but I'll be there to find out. So once you got back up on step and you got out of the service, you educated yourself. Yeah. You, <laughs> you got in and around the veteran community as an advocate for health and wellness, for sure. And those just seem like pavers to, I mean, now you're a Fox News contributor. And I mean, like people seek your guidance now. Like when you come up and people listen to what, that takes a while. I mean, in the beginning, we just have an opinion and everyone has yeah. one of those and they all stink kind of deal, right? After that, your perspective drops in, then your wisdom comes in. But I mean, going through all the those tribulations that you went through, it kind of you can't go back in time, but you can maybe kind of pull your future backwards. And as you started setting the standard for what you were, were to become, and you never fought. That's a marine too. You guys are all like, <laughs> and your guy, man, y'all just like that. But yeah, that that's a that's a great point though. Well, and you guys get this, and and Morgan, like you know, I've, I've worked actually worked with you, um, and uh, but you guys know this from your experience. It's like. I just wanted to go and find a talent and use it. Like I really didn't care what that was or where it went and the circumstances around me dictated. I could talk well. I mean, as truth, you know, I talk with an accent and I use some words that probably aren't real, but I can form sentences pretty well. Like that's a talent I have. And up until I got hurt, I probably just used it to pick up women. So now I can use this talent towards something <laughs> other than that's why that's something there for me, you know, <laughs> And, uh, and so I, um, I was like, you know, I, I would go around every Thursday night and visit the guys that couldn't leave their room that hadn't got prosthetics yet to show them what the prosthetics are and from the horse's mouth, what that journey was going to look like. I could talk, I could talk them through it and that gained attention. And then nonprofits came asking like, would you help us do this? Would you help us do that? And one of them was boot campaign out in Texas and it gets, it's so funny to me, man. I have that some of my age with similar experiences, like, Hey man, how do I get from like, you know, leaving the military to where you are? And I was like, don't try to, cause I did not like, I worked for boot campaign free manual labor for three years. And finally the lady that started, it goes, Joey, I, I've got to pay you or this is unethical. And, uh, and like, that's how it started during that time I went to school and just tried to soak it all in. And as far as like advocating for veterans, it was simple. It's like, People are going to talk to me, make what I have to say mean something for somebody else. And I knew the veteran experience more than any of it. And uh, and then I moved that into politics as I finished my education, worked in the business world, 
had a job outside the government uh, and, and did things and learned. It, you know, the Second Amendment's a big thing for me. Uh, conservative politics are important to me. But picking a team isn't. Like, I don't really care who the quarterback is. These are the issues that are important to me. And, uh, and I got involved that way, just kind of helping advocate for, for things that I believed in. And, uh, you know, and like you guys said, if you can make it through war, if you can go to war with a group of guys from all over the country, different color, different ethnicity, you like different food, different college football teams, and learn to love those people, politics is easy because you can take so much of the emotion out of it. And, uh, and that's kind of where, where it all led. And I couldn't tell you how it got there, but I, I enjoy it. Life. Life gets it there. Because you caught the eye that's of uh, Zach Brown and worked, yeah. for him, and worked for him for a little while, huh? I did. Yeah, I met Zach through boot campaign. I ended up working. He thought I would just kind of use my talent to speak uh, to help his nonprofit efforts. But having been in the nonprofit world, helping run a nonprofit, you sit in boardrooms and businesses and you literally ask them for something and offer to give them nothing. And you, you talk them into it. Well, I went to work for Zach and between the music business and all these other businesses, now I can make deals to where I'm asking for something and giving something. So I ended up working on the business side even more than the nonprofit and, uh, and, and the nonprofit and, uh, and got a lot of great experience there. And then Fox picked me up and, I decided to put all my my time towards that. Now I get the I'm a I'm a Georgia boy, bomb tech Marine, who went to Georgetown to learn liberal studies and convinced a news organization to give me a hunting show. I, I couldn't tell you how <laughs> any of this happened. Are we recording this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So how, what now? I mean, tell us how people. What what are you into now? Tell our listeners, man, how they can find you and follow you. Well, I mean, you can find me on this podcast. This was a lot of fun. Damn right. If you're going to go past this, um, I'm a contributor and a host for Fox and uh, Fox News and Fox Nation. So I host the Fox uh, Fox Nation Outdoors, which is a lifestyle hunting show on Fox's streaming service. I get celebrities like you guys to come hunt with me. Uh, I would. This is a an official invitation. If you guys would like to come next, Fox season, News we'll isn't ready to have all three of us fun. together. Oh, I'm telling you. <laughs> It'll be a it'll, it'll be a multi episode experience with a lot of people. get Hank Seth and grab a couple of them other get kill me down there. Tell Deucey to get in there and start cooking something. That'd be fun. That'd oh, be man. fun to take it back to him and let him cook it. Right. And uh, and then I've got a small podcast called Proud American on Fox News Radio. Um, and then I I chime in on current events on Fox News and Fox Business from time to time. And um, outside of that, through Team Never Quit Speakers Bureau, I'll go do some speaking from time to time. And uh, haven't got to go do it with you guys in a while, but uh, it's always fun to be connected with y'all that way. And uh, I just I believe in everything you guys do, and, and I'm glad to be a part of it. We do have fun, man. How's the family? Everybody yeah, good? we got a new addition on the deck. I do, man. I've got an F, what, see, July, so do the math, carry the one, 16, 17-month-old daughter, and, uh, dude, that's, that's a different world. I got an 11-year-old son, and I would his first 11 years were easier than her first 11 months. And she's not a bad kid. It's just a daughter so much different. They're different. Like, Completely he, different. <laughs> Completely different. He doesn't have one. I like, do. Dude, everything in my house is covered in glitter. Um, I watch more Disney princess movies than I knew existed. If any music plays, my phone can ring and it sounds like music and she's dancing and she's using moves. I don't think any little girl should appropriate, know. Appropriate. Appropriate. It's just crazy. 
Okay, so the boys with their to- their toys that they get, they had the little pieces that you know they get lost and kind of drop on the ground. Yeah, the daughters stand by. There, to- there's millions of those things, man. You'll be finding them forever, picking them out of your ear, whatever. Just have fun. Well, I always thought like girls wanted less expensive things more often, and boys wanted like the big ticket items, like a four wheeler. And my son's like that. Like I bought him a four ten and. He's out shooting me with my 12 gauge. So now I got to buy him a 20 gauge. And that's kind of expensive. Mm. But my daughter, it's like, you know, they make these American girl dolls that look like the Barbie doll from Walmart, but cost a million dollars. It's like, why does this cost so much money? Like everything backpacks from Disney, like, and maybe my, maybe Meg's, maybe she's a little bit a part of this problem, but it's like, <laughs> it, there's just no end inside. Yeah. Don't but worry about that, man. Nothing What's, else listen, you don't have to worry about everybody stepping on a Lego. All right. You think that bomb hurt when it cut you down, bro. Stepping on a Lego <laughs> is a different story altogether. This standby, the, the separation you guys pretty good. I have a I, Hunter's 22 and then I have the nine and the, and the Adelaide's the, the youngest man. But yeah. It's a blast. Yeah. It's a blast, dude. Congratulations. You're right about the toys, man. Every time I step on one, I see my life flash before my eyes because I just feel my legs going. Like my daughter has put me through more post-traumatic stress, leaving <laughs> toys out and me just falling like a like a rag doll than a war ever could. But it's worth every minute of it. That's why he's back in shape. He's got a little daughter. <laughs> and we'll stay away when they come of age, like when Adelaide starts dating, we're all going to rally up in one of the gun rooms. The boyfriend's got to come That's in. It. I got yeah. lines planned out and everything, bro. <laughs> it's going to be a real thing. We'll video. <laughs> Joey, leave the listeners with one piece of never quit advice. What would you leave the listeners with? Yeah, you know, I my dad said it best. I kind of threw it out there earlier. Uh, anything worth your time, anything worth the effort in your hands is worth doing right. And uh, it's faster to do it right the first time than to screw it up and go back. And uh, I know that's a little bit cliche, but if you just apply that to anything, um, you'll learn that, you know, no matter what it is you have to do today, you know, I always say, get up, get over it, get going. Quit whining about it. Quit complaining about it. Get up and go do it and do it right. Great Man. advice. We love you, buddy. Thanks for sharing an hour with us. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the show. Let us know what you think. Where can people follow you again on social media? It's Johnny underscore Joey on all platforms. Perfect. Make sure to follow him. Follow us on social media, teamneverquit.com slash social. And uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, anywhere you get your podcast, We drop episodes every single week. We'll see you guys. All right, brother. We out. I want Later, that, uh, I I want that over and under in the middle. The long one. The pretty one. That's shiny. Hey, is it 360? Uh, what's that? You got it all the way around? Uh, three. Yeah, hang on. Don't fall down. Get your ass up. <laughs> it's going to get probably less impressive here because I'm not done You got with like it, the bows but... and arrows on one side, knives. Yeah, I've got close so rack. that's my pistol rack, and I've got that's weak twice that many pistols. I just don't have, I didn't buy enough racks, so whatever. And then I've got, I've got a couple of ARs stashed around the house that are supposed to go on the wall because I'm trying to kill this deer in my yard. So I've got an AR in each level of the house. No matter where I am, if he pops up, <laughs> I'm gonna take him out. And then that's the bows over there. You don't have a crossbow. No, I don't like crossbows, dude. Man. You got to try the Raven. Man, I just got one. Some new ones out there. Well, oh my god! And I think that's the problem is I haven't used a good one. Oh man, but, the Raven uh, is legit. But I'm telling you, so I've got uh, I've got like a trainer, and then a bone collector, Michael Waddell, just sent me one of his Hoyts, and Ooh. I got to get it set up. 
that dude T-Bone's going to set me up. The bone but collector. we talk about guns. Yeah, like, that's the one I want right side there. By sides. Nah, I want that over and under. This is what you want right here, that sweet 16. That thing will blow your shoulder out, but it's fun <laughs> as hell. Strema. Uh, I got one of those Benelli. Is that a Black Eagle too? Super Black? Uh, that's a yeah, yeah. That's a super black eagle too. Everybody says that Beretta is is nicer. I bought this; it was the thing to get, and then Beretta came out with theirs right after it. Marcus has got the extreme. The extreme, yeah, that's, that's good. So is a black. Like does a freaking punch though. What about that for this dad? Pump, right, that's my turkey gun. And uh, nobody hunts turkeys. Uh, I can't. I you can't, need to do your you floor, know. man. Or did you? Is that tile? That is tile. Never mind. You know what it is? It's that rubber that was, shit. Because I'm in the basement. Oh. So it's like, it's rubber, it's rubber, cork, rubber. I thought it was scratched no up concrete. I was like, you get that done. The best part about it, though, is right over here. Got that George rug going down. Oh, uh, yeah. Up. Right there. Get we need to put dogs. your dirty feet. There you go. <clears throat> we put shit like that on the wall. <laughs> All right, brother. We're out of here, man. All right, guys. All right, buddy. We'll see Later, you, bro.